you have your Bible, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 2. This really sets all of that up for next week. Ephesians chapter 2, and a verse that you're probably very familiar with, which is verse 8. And uh, we're going to kind of dig around on this idea that's in verse 8, where he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I, I, really, if you, um, I really want you to take a deep look at this, we'll call it a deep dive into this verse, because the idea is, is that you had nothing to do with your salvation except to receive what he did for you. You had nothing to do with it. This is God's choice. In fact, in the uh, Wies translation of this verse, it says this, and we have all these up here on the screen. By grace have you been saved completely in past time with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. I love that. You are in a state of salvation which persists through present time and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that he might exhibit for his own glory in the ages that will pile themselves one upon another in continuous succession, the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow, I know that's probably pretty small writing, but just such, a, such an incredible idea that, look, you are in a state of salvation which is going to persist through your present time. It's going to carry you through whatever that you're going through because of the grace that God has given to us. Now let's define this idea of grace. Grace is defined as favor or kindness without regard to the worth or merit of the one who receives it and in spite of what that same person deserves. So when we understand the idea that grace is not about how good you are, not about how you do everything just right, grace moves us into this idea of realizing that it's God's favor or kindness to mankind to provide grace to him without regard of his worth or his merit or the one who receives it. And it is in spite of what you deserve. Because the truth be known you and I do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve a relationship with God. We had our chance through our father Adam who basically had that relationship with God and tossed it aside for himself. That decided, he and Eve decided that they made a cognizant choice and that's what God held them accountable for, that they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to be in charge of what was happening. They wanted to be the ones that were calling the shots. They didn't want God to tell them what was right or wrong. They just wanted to be able to decide for themselves what's right or wrong. And so because of that, the serpent could use that in their lives, tempted them with that thought. They gave in to that thought. So they ended up, God saying, look, that's the choice that you have made for mankind. So you're going to have to live with your choice. But I have prepared a way that eventually I will make a way that I will be able to take you even if you don't deserve what I have for you. You know, much of what we live with in our world is merit-based, right? It's all merit-based. It's on performance, on what you do, how well you do. 
there are some other aspects to it, and we'll get into those in just a minute. But, but primarily, it's merit-based. You know, a lot of folks deal with, you know, maybe a Christmas bonus, or they get some kind of a raise at the end of the year, cost of living raise. A lot of that is going to be based off of, off of merit. And, uh, of course, in our world, the, the, uh, everybody thinks they deserve what everybody else gets, right? So it doesn't, they're trying to remove that. But the idea is, is that it, mostly it is based off of merit. But God gives us his grace whether we deserve it or not. God gives his grace whether we deserve it or not. You know, I, one of the great images of this, and just it blows my mind, is the thief on the cross. Do you know that the last defender of Christ on earth was a guy that was dying next to him? The defender of him being the son of God, of him being who he said he was, was a man who was ready to die on the cross and knew he deserved to die for what he had. And all he asked the Lord to do in the end was said, remember me when you come into you. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus, of course, responded to that and said, this day you will. He knew, the thief knew he deserved, he did not deserve what Christ had to offer. He knew it. But he made the, but he said to the Lord, he said, he said to everybody that was around, we deserve what we are getting, but this is a righteous man. He does not deserve. The last man that, while Jesus was alive on earth, was a man who was a thief. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? But see, that's how God's grace works. God's grace is God's love that is in action. God's grace is his love that is in action. God is love. So his actions are based off of that love. He does not, 1 John 4, 8 says this, he does not, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love, and this is such a vital point to this, God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Now listen, this is the true, this is what causes true humility. This is what causes true humility. C.S. Lewis said it like this. The perfect definition of humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. That I'm not the one that's controlling what's happening here. I'm trusting in him who is control. And you know, the, the, the opposite of humility, interestingly enough, we would, we would say it's pride, obviously, that pride is, is, is what we would think of would be the opposite of humility. But there's an avenue that leads to pride, and it's the word conceit, and the, to be conceited. We, we maybe remember saying that about someone, that we felt like they were conceited. Uh, the Webster's defines the word conceit as having a highly favorable opinion of yourself, okay? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I should have a highly favorable opinion of myself. Well, we'll talk about what that actually means for you and I. But when we deal with people, like there are certain, like Sharon, I don't know, she like has a conceit radar. She, she just picks it up. So she could be, she can watch, she can listen to a football player at, a, at an NFL game, say a few words. She go, that guy's conceited. 
I mean, she just, football, basketball, she like has a radar for those kinds of things because of the way they talk about themselves, the way they, they talk about what they have. They don't give credit to anybody else. They just talk about how awesome, you know, they are, right? So conceit is having a highly favorable opinion of ourselves. So Lewis said, look, it's talking less about yourself and more about the one who has given you what you have. Listen to Philippians 2, 3. It says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better, better than himself. I love this quote by Philip Yancey. It says, grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Only because the giver himself has borne the cost. And see, one thing I think we have to be careful of as Christians, and you've probably done this, I know I've done it, um, is, is that we try to somehow think that we're in control of controlling God, that we can control God through our emotions. You know, like our kids try to control, or my grandchildren try to control us through emotions, throwing a fit, upset, do what I want, give me what I want, I want it now, do what I say. That's control, right? And you and I will live all of our lives fighting this battle in our lives of trying to retain control of what's going on. And people will do it different ways. They, some people will use manipulation. They'll try to manipulate God. My grandmother, I grew up in a home, a family that were, the, they're awesome manipulators. They're amazing at it. They could write a book on manipulation. And uh, I purposed that I would not be like them. You know, some, so often, you know, you have to make those kinds of decisions. I'm just not going to be like them. I'm not going to do that. But my grandmother, every year, we would sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and this is what grandma would say. She would say, Rick, would you say the grace, would you say grace today? Now look, she would say, would you say grace today? But then she would finish it with, because this might be grandma's last Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now why did she have to say that? Because she's trying to manipulate me. She's trying to move me into sympathy. And she'd cry when she said it, because I don't know. And then, you know what? One year, I think it was this week, like, I don't know how many years, 20 years ago, she died. I mean, she just died right before Thanksgiving. So it was her. God was like, okay, well, that's your last Thanksgiving. Then You keep saying that. You can have what you say, right? Hey, the tongue is life and death. Be careful what you say about yourself. So anyways, grandma would say that. And my whole family was like that. Everything was not just, would you do this or could you have? But it was a setup of manipulation. Well, people try to do that with God, too. You know, Lord, I don't ask you for much. You know, Lord, I've been really doing good, living a good life, Lord. I've really honored you. I've been a good witness to my family. I give my tithes. All of that is a form of conceit because it is you having a more highly favorable position of yourself than the one that you're giving to. That we think that we have to get God to sympathize with us to get him to do anything. And I've seen this happen. You know, I've seen it happen where, you know, where we try to negotiate with God, right? That's once again, you and I trying to control the narrative that we really don't understand his grace because we're still trying to get him to do something because we're promising we'll do something. God doesn't care about what you're gonna promise to do. I mean, he, it is, it's important because it's important to you, but it isn't why he does what he does. <laughs> 
But, you know, in the natural mind, it seems like, you know, if I could, it, it would be better, like if I promise God, I'll do this, God, if you do this. God, if you, you know, I'll live for you if you bless me financially. I'll, I'll uh, you know, if you let make this woman marry me, I will, right? That's you and I having too high of a position, thinking too highly of ourselves. And that is not what grace is about because grace is rooted in humility. That what I get, that God wants me well because he loves me and wants me well, not because I did enough to jump through enough hoops so that he said, okay, now I'll make you well. Now I'll make you well. It's tough for us with this though because see that human nature Remember that our constant battle will to be, try to be like our father Adam. We're still trying to be God. We're still trying to be the one in control. We're still trying to be the one that says this is how it has to happen. Nowhere does God tell us about his grace that we have to earn his grace. It's all based out of his love that he freely gives it to us, that he freely gives us that salvation that will keep us today and will keep us in the present term, that time that we're in until we enter into eternity. That grace is the strength to keep us going, but we will have to re we have to evaluate within our life that it's only free to us because of the giver who bore the cost. That it's because of what Christ did for us that we can receive that grace in our lives. We can receive that grace in our life. In Exodus chapter thirty-four, it tells us that um, God showed up. And he declared who he was. He declared his, his word to the people that were there. It says in verse 5 of Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That God, it, it, I love this passage because God proclaimed who he is. Now listen, he's going to tell you who he is. All right? It'd be like me standing up and saying, my name is Richard Jolliffe, and I am this, this, this. I am the son of Gene Jolliffe. I am the son of Donna Jolliffe. I am, I am this. I have this. I, this is who I am. These are my characters. These are characteristics. This is my personality. God's declaring. Moses is not the one declaring it because Moses doesn't know. But God declares. He proclaims the name of the Lord to him. And the Lord passed before him. And proclaim, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Man, that is so awesome that he's slow to anger and he's abundant, abundant. Everybody say abundant. Abundant, abundant means excessive, right? Excessive. You know, Sharon loved my kids but she is excessive with our grandchildren, right? She loved our kids. I mean, man, she, you know, like at Christmas time, she'd be like, oh, man, we, you know, we need to get this for the kids. And she would, but at, at Christmas time for the grandkids, the kids, they could barely get anything now, right? But the grandkids, man, they, they know grandma's going to, we're going to rake in the loot because of grandma. She's abundant, yeah. She's abundant 
in loving kindness. He is abundant, excuse me, in loving kindness. I talk about Sharon. <laughs> abundant in loving kindness and truth. So when we understand this about God, when we understand that, look, God declared who he is. You don't have to negotiate with God to get him to help you. You don't have to plead with him and repent at the altar a gazillion times of weeping and crying so that somehow your tears will be enough that God will go, okay, now I believe you're really sorry. We don't have to earn God's healing ability in our lives. In fact, I'll tell you, and, 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 and this, is a, this is part of our challenge. With healing, we have to be careful because if we think that somehow we earn it, that will be a block from us receiving it. That'll be a block for us. Because we'll keep thinking that, well, I need to do this, and then if I do this, then God will do this. It's all backwards. God did this. Now you need to receive this. Yeah, you believe. That's what believing is. I believe, therefore I receive. It's, it's all based off of that I that I'm saying, God, you already did this. You already took care of this. And so we'll, you know, we'll get into this atmosphere of thinking that we've got to be careful because it's that, it's that false humility or misguided humility at best that we somehow think that, well, if I'm just, you know, if I'm just humble enough, God will, I'll, and I'll, I'll deserve to be well or have God work in my life or his miraculous ability. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. To be gracious, where it says God is gracious, is the, is the uh, Hebrew word kanan. It means to stand, to bend, excuse me, or stoop in kindness to an inferior, to show or bestow, to show or bestow favor. And that's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. He shows us favor. But I love how that he tells us then, so once you've reconciled this idea, now this is how I want you to treat other people. This is Because if you say, now you're receiving my love in your life, now love others the way that I have loved you. Love, love others. You know, it's easy to love people that are like you. Right? It's easy to love people that believe the same things you believe. It's easy to love people that you get along with, all right. But what about the cantankerous people of this world? What about the people that are just sandpaper to us, that they just seem to rub us the wrong way when we're around them? How does, what does God require of us? Well, I mean, Jesus talked about it. He said, no, man, you love them and keep coals of fire. It's like keeping coals on them because you keep loving them even though they don't want you to love them. Even though you don't want them to love them. You know, if we look at really what's going on in people's lives, especially people that, you know, why are people, why are people mean? Why, why are people, why are people are, uh, do wicked things? Why do people get caught up in the sins of this world. Well, let me tell you something. No one as a child ever thinks, I want to live a wicked life. No one starts out that way. No little girl thinks, someday I'd like to be a prostitute. I just think that'd be an awesome occupation. I could make a lot of money. No little girl, nobody thinks. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I never thought, man, I hope I'm an alcoholic someday. I'd just love to be an alcoholic. 
fact, that most of the people that I were around that was alcoholics, they scared the daylights out of me because, uh, I mean, you know, I was in a vehicle with a guy one time who was alcoholic, and we were just kids. We had to lay on the back seat of the floor while he was driving, hitting people's mailboxes, drunk out of his mind. I mean, when my mom found out about it, that was the end of those people in our life. But, you know, it was just, but he didn't start out his life that way. I didn't start out that way. You know, we look at people that are out there and we somehow think that everybody that's out there, they chose to be, it was by their, listen, all that is is a form of conceit again, that we're just coming back to saying, well, you know, they chose to be the way they are, so now they need to sleep in the bed that they've made. Well, there are lots of us that we made really bad beds and we're glad we're not sleeping in them. My goodness. That's why it's interesting that if you, if you look at, you know, if you go on Google and you type, what shouldn't Christians do? What shouldn't Christians do? Do you know what the top thing is? Christians shouldn't judge. That's the top thing. That's what people, what shouldn't Christians do? You can Google it yourself. What, don't do it right now, but what shouldn't, they shouldn't judge. So they'll say, do, you know, don't judge me. All right, one, let's be clear about this. Jesus judged all kinds of people. And the Bible is full of judgments about adultery, fornication, drunkenness, all those things. Judgments, they're all there. He didn't say that you can't say what's right or wrong. When you really dig into the word that's talked about there when it says do not judge, it's interesting, and you see this in the Amplified Version in chapter 7 and verse 1. He said, do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. See, it's one thing to look at someone and say, that's wrong. But it's another thing to condemn them. If you, because, see, to condemn them means there's no reprieve. There's no way out. And instead of bringing grace to them, we bring absolute well, what we do is we just cut them off. We won't have anything to do with them. We may not cut them off physically because some of them are family, but we'll cut them off in our mouth and our thinking. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't. Am I helping anybody here today? See, what does grace do in our lives? Grace, it straightens out our thinking that, look, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And then what does grace do? It, rec it, it recycles itself into our life saying, and everybody around me deserves that kind of grace that I've received. You say, well, who will correct? Look, if I'm sitting down with someone and they're living a homosexual lifestyle, I don't sit there and go, well, that's really cool that that's the way you live. I say, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with that at all. But I want you to know this. I'm not cutting you off. I'm not throwing you out of my life. I don't want to, I'm not saying, because how in the world are we ever going to reach anybody Unless we, if we keep telling people, when you get straightened up, you can come be, wanna be around me, but you can't be around me until you get straightened up. What if God would have said that to you? Well, you get all worked. See, that's what the church has tried to look like, though, for years. We got to, like, get in the place so God will help us. God will. So, see, what did we just do? We took control of the narrative. Again, we're back in charge. We're, we're, we've got a conceited attitude of thinking that, I'm the one controlling whether God shows up in church. I'm the one controlling whether, and it all becomes based off of works. You say, well, pastor, the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. Yeah, but it begins with faith, not with works. 
Because let me tell you something. Works without faith, that's dead too. If faith without works is dead, then works without faith is dead. So we can do all the good. And you want a, want a passage to back that up? 1 Corinthians 13. If I give away everything I have and have, lot, have not love, I have nothing. We could do all the humanitarian programs, give all of our money up, put it all into helping people eat and all these different things. And somehow we would go before God and say, did you see what I did, God? Did you see what I did? And God would say to us, that is not why I love you. Because of what you did. That is not why I want you healed. That is not why I sacrificed my life for you. That is not why I bore your stripes and carried away your sickness and disease. That is not why I did it out of love. That's why the truth, in I, and we'll have to stop here this morning, but that's why in Galatians that it tells us so clearly in chapter 5 that, that faith works by love. Without love, without that grace, and love really is that grace manifested. Without that love, faith can't work because I don't know, I don't, I'm not in a position to know whether God really wanted me to have that even though I don't deserve it. Even though I don't deserve it. Faith without works. Don't judge, criticize, and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemn yourselves. We come to God from a place of love, not to get love. I've just that, I know I've said that a bunch of times, but it's, it's so true for you and I that we are coming to, we, look, we come to God because we're in a relationship with God out of his love for us, not because we loved him, but because he loved us. That's humility. That's where I'm coming and saying, Lord, just as I am, I come to you. I have no argument. I have no plea. I come to you, Lord God. I come to you because I need you. I, I believe in you. I believe in what you have. I believe in what you can do. And I, Lord, I'm coming to you today because I need you. Lord, because you are, you are love. Look what happens when we get this reality straightened out in our thinking. Psalm 31, verse 19 in the Message Bible. What a stack of blessing, God, you have piled up for those who worship you ready and waiting for all who run to you to escape an unkind world. What a stack of blessing you have piled up for those who worship you, ready and waiting for all who run to you and to escape this unkind world. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but it was with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, that you are my Father, you are my Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted 
by God. Notice here the, how he talks about that, look, the comforter is with you, therefore bring the comforter to those who need comforted. The word comforter is an interesting word in the Greek language. It's the word parakleo, and it means the one called alongside. That God is saying, look, I, I have comforted you. I am along. I am with you in this. I mean, when I think about, I don't know how you react to this, but when I think about how much I don't deserve to have God help me, it just creates such incredible gratitude that he chose to. That he chose to. To love me, to accept me. When I think about that God, I mean, you know, the things that God has called me to do in my life, I think, God, I don't, I'm, I, I really, I'm not trying to move you here. I'm, I'm not worthy, but I thank you that you made me worthy through the blood of Christ and gave me the opportunity. Hallelujah. See, for us as believers, what grace does to us is, is that grace drives us, it keeps us in a place of humility in our prayers that when we realize when we come to the Father, we're bringing his words to him, not our words to him. We're not telling God what to do because we know we don't deserve to be able to tell God what to do. We're just reminding him of what he's already said that he would do for us, that he would heap blessings on us. You know, our worship and our praise, we have to be careful with this because sometimes we think, well, if I worship and I praise enough, then God will do whatever I want. Look, if God hasn't already decided he's going to do it, your worship and praise isn't going to get him to do it. He already decided and if he declared in his word that that's who he is and that's what he does and that's what he wants to do, then he's going to do exactly what he said because faith begins where the will of God is known. I can't know his will without knowing what his word says. But see, that attitude of, man, well, we just need to, we need to have prayer and we need to fast and we'll get God to do something because we're going to fast and pray until he does. Well, look, you're not going to move God to, to do something he hadn't already decided he wanted. Do you not think that Jesus who died doesn't want, died for the lives of every man does not want everyone to be a believer, to, to receive his saving grace? And his, look, heaven's already determined that revival should be in the land, that church people need to wake up and they need to realize that grace has been extended to them. Now extend that grace to the world and bring them to the God that loved you so that they can know the same love that you've experienced in your life. We don't have to plead with God to bring revival. He already wants, look, he wants his people woke. Revival is more about you guys. It's not about what's happening in the world. If the church wakes up, we'll have plenty of revival in the world. Hallelujah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings us comfort in all our tribulations. When we're going through tough times, he's always there because he chooses to be there. Not because we deserve it, but because he chooses that that's what he gives us. We're righteous because he made us righteous through, he made us that way. He didn't, we, we weren't born that way, he made us that way. Amen. Hallelujah, through Christ. And the comfort that he has given us, we should give. We should see people around us and the people that in our families. And no matter, I know, look, there's some mean, wicked people out there in the world, but they all need to know the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're not going to get it. Look, they're not going to get it 
without you and I being that in this world because we're the church. We're the ambassadors for Christ. We're the one that's bringing the terms of heaven to the world. That's what an ambassador does. The ambassador does not represent themselves. They represent where they came from. The, the ambassador does not have their own, their own thing they're trying to do. The ambassador is doing what the kingdom, the king of the kingdom has said. And when, he, when they come, they don't set their own terms. They set the terms that the king has established. If people reject it, then they have at least heard the terms of the kingdom. And so when we declare that his grace is sufficient for you to help you, God loves you, God cares about you, Jesus died for you, all those things are representations as ambassadors for the kingdom. 1 John 5, verse 13, last verse. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of God of the Son of God, declaring the name of the Son of God. God is love. God's grace has been extended to us. And there isn't a single thing, and you just got to get this in your heart, there isn't a single thing you can do to earn God's healing. And there isn't a single thing you do to earn God's well, if I read my Bible more, if I study, look, you only need one verse and just believe what that says. That's enough. That'll give you faith. As long as we're not standing in the middle of that going somehow, if I say this enough, do this enough, read it enough that that will get God to do. No, he already decided. If he said it, listen to me, if he said it, then he's already decided it. Okay. He's already decided it. And, you know, we kind of got to get, it, it, it's, it's, and I'm not talking about everybody here as parents, but, you know, I notice, like, with my, with my grandkids sometimes, when their parents tell them something, they don't believe them. But when grandma and grandpa say it, they believe it. And the reason they believe it is because if we tell them not to do something and they do it, we go after them. We don't give them a second choice or a second chance. We go after them. Now, the kids, they'll go, if you do that one more time, you do that one more time, you do that one more time. Now, listen, now my kids are saying stuff like, and which I don't like this, if you don't stop it, I'm calling grandpa up. <laughs> because, listen, and this is why I'm saying this, because they know when grandpa says it, he's going to back it up. He does what he says. Now, the same is true about God. And if God says that he wants you blessed, then if you give your tithes and offerings and do what he says in his word, you're going to be blessed. Regardless of who the president is. Regardless of what, hey, you know what? Regardless of what gas prices are. I'll just, I'll just boldly declare this to you. When we drive by those pumps, you know what we say? Grace, 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 grace to those gas pumps. It'll come down. You watch it. You watch. It will. It's bad. It's getting really bad. It's getting really expensive. Grace, grace. And I'm not saying that because that's me. I'm saying that because that's him. Hallelujah. God doesn't want all your money going in your gas tank. Or in your fuel bill, you know, for your house. You don't want that. 
So what we, what we have to do is we have to respond with what God has said and believe that he actually, when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. Hallelujah. Stand up with me, if you will. Now, uh, this is really cool. This will really help you as we're wrapping up. And I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'll come because uh, I want them in on this. So Jesus is having this meeting, all right? And there, there's all kinds of people, there's all kinds of leaders in this meeting. This is in the Bible. And in this meeting, it says right there in that passage, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Okay? But nobody was getting healed. You know why nobody was getting healed? Because nobody believed that he could heal them. And nobody was asking. I mean, he was there. Do you know who got healed in that meeting? The one they dropped through the ceiling. Now, the power of the Lord was present. The, the, ability, uh, the dunamis ability of God was present to heal. See, when the word is preached, the presence of the Lord, the power is there. If we believe what the word says. I believe God's word is here for healing. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Uh, but here's the thing. It doesn't do any good unless you believe it. I mean, I can talk all day about God's goodness and healing, but if you're dealing with, and you say, well, I, you know, this problem I'm dealing with, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's just a corn on my foot. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, I've had them before, and I'll probably have them again. Yeah, keep saying what you're saying. But look, no matter, how, no matter whether it's a wart, <laughs> right? Or it's a runny nose. Do you want to keep doing that? Do you want to keep that? Well, if you don't, then what you do is you say, Lord, I believe your presence is here. Your power is here. Pastor's given a call for us to come up for prayer. I'm going to come up and get healed today. I want you to notice here what I just said, because this is, this is so vital to this. I'm not saying I'm going to go up and see what happens. I'm going to go up there and get well. I'm going to go up and get healed. I'm going to receive your healing power. Well, Pastor, I don't know how you can say that. How can you say that? How do you say Because the, the look. Where the word is preached, the power of the Lord is present to heal. Jesus Christ bore, Matthew 8, 17, bore your sicknesses and carried away your diseases. Somebody's been having, um, just, just moving into this, somebody's been having chest pains, and I want you to, look, did you get it? Yeah, somebody's been having chest pains, and look, if you've been dealing with that, don't just keep thinking, well, it'll get better, or I'll change my diet, or whatever. Look, you need a miracle in your in your ticker. Let's believe God for that miracle here today in Jesus' name. Go ahead, Chef.